Good morning. I have a confession to make to you. Uh, if you have been paying attention to the sermon schedule, where well, you're supposed to be in Daniel chapter 7 today. But uh, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, midway through the book of Daniel, it starts to get a little strange. It starts to get a little weird. Uh, Daniel starts to prophesy and he starts telling all these stories and there's stories about four-headed beasts and things like that. And, and so when I put the schedule together, I thought in my head, I remember the normal, normal stories of Daniel being chapters one through seven. But then when I reread them, I realized uh, the normal ones were only one through six. And that uh, today would have been a, a kind of a strange day as we were uh, talking about the prophecies of Daniel and four-headed beasts and things like that. And so I didn't think that was going to be appropriate for us today. So I wanted to use this as an opportunity to talk to you about something that we're going to call the priority principle today. Uh, asking ourselves, is God the priority in everything that I do? Have I placed God first in everything that I do? Now, God is a God of grace. He allows me to do a whole lot of things in, in my life. He, he allows me uh, pretty much a great deal of latitude, but whatever I do, I need to make sure that I'm doing it for him. I need to make sure that I'm first honoring him with all that I do and say. And if it isn't, if I'm not honoring God, I know it right away. I have that feeling within me. Uh, if I'm not honoring God with what I do, with what I say, with what I listen to, with what I watch, with what I attend, with what I participate in, I immediately know there's this sinking feeling. I just know it where the Holy Spirit is talking to me. And I know that I haven't lived up to the potential that God has given me for my life. And I know that I haven't put him as a priority and I know at that moment that I haven't made him first. Sometimes in, in my life, Brian's brain or Brian's heart or Brian's will takes over. And I find myself uh, after the fact thinking, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Or I, might, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. Or I shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have listened to that. What, what I'm doing is not honoring God at all. And and so where am I going with this? Where is this he sermon headed? I, I want to share with you part of, of my journey with God. And I have to admit you, to you that uh, placing God as the first priority in my life has not always been the easy thing. And there were, there were many, many years where God, even though, well, there were many years before I became a Christian where God really wasn't on the list at all, but there were those lists, those times and years in my life where I was a Christian, but he was still pretty far down on the list. I was a Christian. I knew God. I, I, I accepted his forgiveness. I thanked him for that. I, I believe I was saved, but I was living for myself. And I was taking care of my family, and I was uh, serving in my church, but those were obligations. And, and I just felt like, well, I can get this mixture of these two lives together, right? Um, I can do the churchy things. I can check off all of those things, and, and that's probably going to be good enough. Maybe that's happened to you somewhere along your journey. You didn't intend to ignore God uh, when you walk out the doors of the church, it just kind of source kind of happens, right? One day you realize that 
There was a church side and there was a self-serving side to you. I get it. I completely understand it. Again, you don't mean for it to happen. It's just something that kind of creeps in and uh, into this spot where God used to occupy this part of your life. And before you know it, God is taking the back burner and we're living for ourselves and we're just doing what we want to do. And perhaps you used to wake up early to pray or, or to read your Bible. And then the snooze alarm just looks so good in the morning, doesn't it? right? And pretty soon, uh, instead of just waking up every nine minutes, you just think, well, wouldn't it just be easier if I would just set my alarm 27 minutes later? <laughs> and we'll just not, we'll just skip this part uh, of the day. And you feel like you no longer have the time to spend your morning with God. Maybe your family used to gather around the dinner table and you actually had conversations with one another? Do we remember those things? Um, remember the time where we prayed over our meals and then all of a sudden it just became easier. Let's just run through McDonald's and grab something as we run out the door and we don't spend that time. Perhaps you uh, wish God was first in your finances, but now you think, well, I just don't understand this. I don't see how giving this much money to the church could actually help me financially. So listen, friends, I get it. I, I've lived that. I, I know exactly where you are at. I've been there. I have bought that t-shirt. I know all about it. And although I wish I could tell you that I perfected this uh, priority principle, I'm still a work in progress too. And there's still areas in my life where God is getting a hold of me and saying, uh, you know, I need you to give this over to me. I need to be priority in that area of your life as well, Brian. And so I want to take you on this journey into this priority principle. It kind of sounds like we're going on to the twilight zone a little bit, doesn't it? You know, I'm taking you to this new dimension today. And, and maybe some of the things I'm going to tell you might even sound like, I am out there. I'm, this is a new dimension. I don't even understand some of this. Uh, but I've lived these stories in my life, and I'm also going to call upon some uh, uh, stories in the Bible to help us out. And so let's go ahead and get started. Principle number one is keep the Lord first in your faith. That seems pretty self-explanatory, doesn't it? If we're going to have faith, we need to have the Lord first in our faith, Right? But I've witnessed as a pastor for over 20 years that even for Christians, the Lord is pretty far down on the list. I know many people that just are going through the motions. I know a lot of people that are doing the right things, but they're doing them for the wrong reasons or they're, they're just an obligation for them. Uh, we're not consciously trying to grow closer to Jesus with the things that we do that are good things to do. And if you've chosen to follow Jesus, if you've, if you've asked for his forgiveness of your sins, if you trust him with your life, then at one point he not only drew you close enough that you uh, could make that decision, but even today he is still drawing you closer to himself. That's who he is. He wants our faith to grow in him. Trouble is, a lot of Christians that I know treat Jesus as if he's just our get out of hell free card. 
You know, I, I can live my life the way that I want to live my life, and at the end of it, I'm going to be able to go to heaven and not in, uh, in hell. And life is not just some big, long, drawn-out Monopoly game. That would be terrible to me. Uh, but being a Christian is not supposed to be just a single-moment experience. It's not just that salvation moment where we can say, yes, I'm saved and I'm, I'm following Jesus, but it's a lifelong experience. It's an eternity experience. Our faith is supposed to grow. Now, I wish there was a, a formula that I could give you and say, if you do this and you do that, then your faith is going to grow. But I, I do believe there's probably, there's maybe not a formula for that, but there probably are some minimum requirements of us, right? There's some holy habits, some daily practices that if our faith is going to grow in Christ, there's some things that we probably need to do. And so these are some examples and what examples for me and in, in my life. Number one here is say your prayers. <laughs> a lot of these principles that I'm going to give you today uh, come with a challenge here. And um, here's your first one. Here's your challenge. Before your feet hit the floor in the morning, talk to Jesus. I know it's easy to turn over and to reach for the snooze. I know it's easy to turn over and reach for your glasses or your phone or to get up because you, you, know, you need that cup of coffee. I get it. Facebook is right there. I mean, it's right there. And there's been a whole bunch of things that have happened while I was asleep. I got to catch up. Facebook is still going to be there 10 minutes from then, Right? I found that for me, grounding myself in prayer before I get out of bed, before my feet hit the ground, helps me to prioritize my entire day. And it doesn't have to be some long and drawn out prayer. You don't have to have flowery language when you talk to Jesus. You don't have to say thou or thy or um, end every verb with if. You don't have to do that. Lord, I, I prayeth that you would keepeth me closest to youeth. You don't have to do that. You don't have to talk to him like that. God doesn't need 20 dear fathers. He doesn't need your hair or your teeth brushed to talk to him. Just talk to Jesus. That's all you have to do. What would be so important in our life? What would be so important that it would take priority over talking to our Savior first. See, Starbucks and Duncan and Folgers aren't going to go out of business if you delay your cup of joe for 10 minutes because you have to talk to Jesus. It's not going to happen. Um, coffee is important. Facebook might be important. The Today Show is important, but Savannah Guthrie is going to wait for you to talk to Jesus, right? She's going to be there. Number two is read your Bible, Get into God's word. Here's your, here's your second challenge. Some of us, you know, I, I use an electronic version a lot, but I bet you that, I bet there's a lot of Bibles in our homes that we need to blow some dust off of them, right? Pick it up. Read it. Uh, maybe you think, well, man, I, I read it. I just don't, I, I don't get all of it. Maybe you want to use a devotional to help you, uh, to inspire you or to guide you. And there's plenty of great devotionals you can use along with reading the Bible. If you want some advice on some, 
some good ones. Talk to myself. I'll, I'll be glad to give you the names of them. Talk to any of the pastors here. Talk to the person next to you. They probably used one themselves that they like, but you don't have to have a guide. You don't have to have a devotional. Just open the book. Just open the book and spend some time with him. Uh, get a study Bible. Get something that has some explanations, what you're reading. The point is, open the book. Just read God's word. Our, our church uh, started on this journey of reading the Bible together every day. And uh, there's quite a few people that are doing it. We're on day 49. Super exciting right now in the middle of Leviticus. Woo! You can join in on day 49 if you want. Prop may not be the best place to start. I don't know, but uh, uh, you can do that. You can go back to Genesis and Exodus and, and read those. And if you're new to reading the Bible, if you're just trying to get a, make that habit, then start in the New Testament. Uh, just because the first line of the Bible says in the beginning doesn't mean you have to start in the beginning. You can start midway through the story. I suggest maybe even starting with the book of, of John. It's one of the stories of the life of Jesus. Start there. Again, the point is, open the book. Get into his word. And uh, if you miss a day, don't worry about it. Don't fret. Just get to the next one. Develop the habit. Experts say that to, for us to have a habit, we need to do it the same thing every day for about two months to develop a habit. So if you started today, I looked this up, if you started today, you would develop a habit of reading the Bible on National Velociraptor Day. <laughs> Won't that be exciting, right? <laughs> I'm not sure what the significance there is, but uh, um, it's also National Animal Crackers Day. So maybe you'd enjoy that. Uh, developing the habit on that day. And just because I know you're curious, today is National Battery Day. Okay? All right? So develop that habit. Get in the Word. Read your Bible. Number three, you can probably figure out where this is going. Get to church. See, we, along with the rest of the world, experience this a sharp decline in the number of people that were ex uh, attending church compared to three plus years ago. Uh, when COVID hit and forced us apart, there were many people, there were many families that got out of the habit of even coming to church. And uh, we're slowly seeing a reverse of, of that. And, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, you are here or you're watching online today, but the rate of people attending the church or how often we attend church is, is starting to slip. Um, instead of weekly church attendance, the, the normal nationwide is that people attend church once a month. Nationally, those that say that they are church attenders, that they are regular attenders to church, 51% are in church once a month or less. See, God tells us in his word that we should be in community with other believers. Hebrews 10.25 says, let's not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. 
See, God knows the importance of us uh, developing that community, being in a community with like-minded believers, people that can encourage you and challenge you and inspire you and help you to grow in your faith. And so it's, that is so important for us here at PFN that that's our values, that's who we are. We believe that church is a place where you can and should feel known. And this community of like-minded friends, friends that are going on the same journey with Jesus that, that you are. And we think it's important that you would feel known here and that Jesus would know you and Jesus knows your name. Jesus wants you at church. We believe that church is also a place where you should feel valued. We not only want you to meet people, but we want you to develop friends here. People that are going to care about you and care about what happens in your life. And you are so valuable to Jesus that he died to pay the price for your sins. How much more valuable could we feel than that? And I hope that the people around you are also valuable enough to you that you want to get to know them. And eventually we're going to know each other and eventually we're going to value each other enough that we're going to want to serve with one another and we're, we're going to want to serve with people and so we believe that pfn is a place for you to find your purpose see god has granted you with abilities and talents that nobody else has your mix of all of those things no one else does no one has the exact same mix of your passions and your abilities and, and your talents and god reminds us in his word that we all are different parts of the same body Romans chapter 12 says, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. See, we fulfill our, our, our purpose. We believe that our, our purpose in, in life is fulfilled when, when it's, when we do it in the service of the church, when, when we do it with other believers, when we do it with other people that are our friends, when we do it together, not necessarily when doing it here, although we have plenty of places for you to serve here, but together as the body of Christ. So that's the first principle. The second principle is let's keep the Lord first in our family. There's a story in the Old Testament. It's found in 1 Kings chapter 9. And it, uh, it's a quick story, but it highlights uh, the importance of placing God first over everything else, even your family. Because it teaches the, the principle that if we put God first, he takes care of everything else. And so in this story, uh, Israel is suffering from an extreme famine and people are going hungry and there's people dying and the prophet Elijah has been told to go to this widow woman in a uh, Gentile village for food and it seems like a pretty strange place for a prophet of God to go to this widow to find food because the poorest people around were probably widows at the time and so 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 10 says this. So he went to Zarephath 
And when he came to the town gate, a widow was gathering sticks, and she call, he called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so may, I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. Which, if you don't know the context of the story, pretty much sounds like a jerk thing to do to this woman, doesn't it? Right? Asking this starving woman, hey, while you're at it, why don't you bring me some of your food? It just seems like a, a jerk thing to do. But he knew that God was directing him. He was obeying God. He was just following God. And he's laying the consequences down in God's hand. In verse 12, it says, as surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. And she says, and I'm gathering a few sticks to take home to make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and get this and then die. See, times are, were desperate. And, and she thought to herself, I don't have anything for this guy. I can't feed this guy. And she's so hungry. She's so desolate that she, she believed that this was going to be their absolute last meal. Verse 13. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends the rain on the land. Verse 15, so she went away. And she did as Elijah had told her, so there was food every day for Elijah and the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. This account of the story doesn't give us, I'm guessing there was more conversation between Elijah and this woman. And I'm thinking maybe she argued a little bit. Maybe she tried to plead her case a little bit. But at some point, Elijah said to her, listen, I don't get it either. I just know that God has sent me here. I just know that God has, has told me to ask you for food. And see, I think Elijah understood this priority principle. He knew that if we put God first in our life, then everything else falls into place. And so she did it. And she fed Elijah, this man of God, even before she fed her, herself and her son. And, and God showed up. And God took care of them. And the flour and the oil never ran out. The food didn't end. And she put God first. And God rewarded her with what she couldn't make happen herself. And it may seem counterproductive to think, I got to put God before my spouse. I got to put God before my kids and all of our family situations. But I promise you, if God is first in your family, God is going to show up. Happens all the time. So here's just uh, uh, some things that we could do. Number one, don't skip the family meal time. And, and I get it. I'm not trying to put guilt upon you. I know this is a hard one. Our schedules are busier 
than ever before. We're running and, and going. Sometimes it feels like we're just catching each other. You know, as one comes in the door, another one is, is going out. And our house is, oh, it seems like somebody is always running to a meeting. Uh, somebody's running to a sporting event. Somebody's going to another meeting. Somebody's going to a conference, and then somebody else is going to a meeting. It's over and over and over. And this past week, I've been able to eat with my family one time. I can't keep that up. Our family can't keep that up. And when we miss a meal together, we're missing out on a whole lot more than just sharing food with one another. According to Harvard researchers, the families that have regular times together uh, for meals have lower rates of depression and anxiety, lower uh, rates of substance abuse, eating disorders, tobacco use, teen pregnancy, and a higher rate of resilience and self-esteem. And unless we make that a priority in our life, those things don't happen. You and your family may have to actually pencil it in or, or pin it in. Schedule time together. You may actually have to put meal time on your calendar. That's okay. Cook dinner together. Clean up together. Do, do it together. And use it as an opportunity to talk. And, and be honest, parents, grandparents, aunts, and uncles, when you have that opportunity to sit around the, the table, be honest. You have had a hard day. Be honest about it. Uh, share that with your kids in an age-appropriate manner. Invite them as well to lay down their burdens at that table and that conversation. And then spend some time praying for your meal and praying together. Our kids, our grandkids need to learn that the food that is on our table, the food that is sitting in front of us is a gift from the Lord. And we're going to pause. It doesn't take that long. We're going to pause to give him thanks for what he has provided us. And so let your kids, let your grandkids hear you pray. And then give them a chance to pray. Which brings us to number two. Make sure your kids and your grandkids are seeing your holy habits. It's okay to let them see you pray. It's okay to let them see you reading your Bible. They need to know that that is normal. Don't give up praying with your kids before they go to bed. And make sure that they know that talking to our Savior is priority in our lives. And then kids are going to learn. Children are going to learn how to place God first when they learn how to place others first. And so families, find a place to serve. Find a place to serve together. It can be here at the church. It can be in your community. It can be in your neighborhood. Find a place where everybody can gather together and serve together. Maybe you have that elderly neighbor that needs help. And it's only going to take an afternoon to go over there and uh, to, to help them with some chores, whatever it may be. But let our kids see our holy habits so they know that this is how we serve God and how we serve one another. And then probably the most difficult place, the most difficult place for us to put God first, principle number three, is keep the Lord first in your finances. Now it's not a, if you look at the back of our bulletin, it's not a surprise. It's 
that PFN is struggling financially right now. We're at the end of a church year. We're trying to have a balanced budget for next year. We're still short. Um, Giving has been down significantly. The month of January was one of our lowest months ever here at PFN. And we're looking at making some sacrifices, and our finance committee has literally looked at every single dollar in our budget trying to save some money, and we still are short for a balanced budget next year. Our pastoral staff, each of us has set an alarm on our phones for 11.28, where no matter what we're doing at that moment, we're going to stop and we're going to pray for the finances of our church. It comes from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. It says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. And I don't know how to say this any clearer we're going to do our absolute best at PFN to, to save as much as we can and to spend your tithe money as wisely as we possibly can. But the, the bottom line is this. We need people to put God first in our, your finances. There's no other way. There's another story I want to highlight here in an Old Testament story. It's in Haggai. Haggai is this a little short book in the end of the Old Testament. It's the third to the last book in the Old Testament. So if you find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John in the New, just go back a few books and you'll find Haggai. And let me give you a little bit of historical perspective here. Haggai takes place at the same time that we've been together in the book of Daniel. Same time frame in history. The Israelites have been in exile, but now God has just released them, and about 50,000 people go back to home, go back to Israel. And a guy named Ezra is their leader. He's arrived in Jerusalem, and as soon as they get there, they're excited, and they start immediately rebuilding the altar. They, They started the sacrifices again to God, and a year later, in 1535, the foundation for the temple has now been laid, and things start to go well, and they can see where God is moving, and people are excited. But shortly after laying the foundation, this opposition came up against them, and uh, the work stopped. And the people didn't build the temple anymore. They just uh, they started Uh, going and building just their own homes. Building God's house stopped, but the people didn't stop building their own home. And the fact that they were building their own house before finishing the Lord's house displeased God. And after 16 years of them doing that, God needed to get their attention, and another famine came into their land. Now look at Haggai 1.6. God says, you have planted much, harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. Does that feel like any of us here? <laughs> Does it feel like you earn a lot, but you might, you're just putting your, your money in a, in a bag with holes in it? 
See, a lot of people's finances are like that because we've not learned that priority principle and putting God first. And so God says, put me, put him, put his house first, and then I will bless you. Haggai 1.7 says, this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. And this guy named Zerubbabel gets all fired up and he gets everybody else all fired up. And they, they uh, start to put God first and they rebuild the God's house. And before they started or before they finished building their own house and about 15 years later, the temple is finally completed. And then in Haggai 2.19, God says, from this day on, I will bless you. And folks, that's the promise of putting God first in every area of our life. Do it and watch how God shows up. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all of these things will be given to you as well. Folks, we can't outgive God. Um, it's interesting as a pastor, I've never, I've never heard somebody say, I gave to God and look at us now, we're more poor than we've ever been in our life. It's, <laughs> it, I've never heard it. I've not experienced it. But I have met many people who have said, I I didn't know we would get so much by giving so much. We, we started giving to God by faith, and, and somehow we're not only doing better on the 90% left over, we're, uh, it's, it's amazing how God has shown up. And this is the priority principle uh, equation that God gives us. He gives you 100%. Everything you have is because of God. He has given you 100%. We have the opportunity to give back 10% tithe back to God. And we end up with more than we started with. That's God's math. God's financial math says 100% minus 10% equals 100 plus percent. And I don't know how he does it. It just happens. It, it's, God does that. It's happened to Carol and I over and over and over. 100% minus 10% uh, given back to God always has equaled more than 100%. Always. As a pastor, I've been asked this so, so many times. How can you get up in front of people and preach about money? Don't you know how hard I work for my money? And my question is, do you pray? Do you ask God to help you? Well, of course I do, pastor. Well, then why do you pray? You pray because you expect God to move in your life. You expect him to do something in your life that ordinarily wouldn't have been done unless God shows up and does it, right? Well, we give to God because he can do more with my money than I'll ever know how to do things with my money. Sometimes he's teaching us to do 
more with less. Sometimes, you know, there's a raise. I don't know what happens. Sometimes it's an unexpected gift. But every time, every single time, God has increased what he gives me so that I can increase what I give him. It was a hard decision for, for Carol and I when we were first married to, to tithe. I remember looking over at Carol, and she's writing out the uh, tithe check. And I said, oh, no, 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 honey, you put the decimal point in the wrong place. That's not right. We can't afford to give that much. But I've learned the priority principle. And then if I put God first in my finances, I can't afford not to. The prophet Jeremiah once said, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. So when it comes to you and your family, when it comes to you and your kids, you and your grandkids, when it comes to me and my kids, when it comes to me and my family, I can't afford to allow them to serve another master other than Jesus. The cost is way too high. And when it comes to my faith, when I give you my time and my talents and my worship and my gratitude and my service and myself, I've learned that I can't afford not to give him me. Because what he gives me in return is so much more. So are you placing God first in every area of your life? Is he first in your faith? Is he first in your family? Is he first in your finances? Because I promise you, you can't afford to have it any other way. We're going to have our, we're purposely, not as an area of manipulation by any means, but just for us to take our offering at the end. It's an opportunity for us to put God first in our, in our life. And, and so I'm going to ask our ushers to come forward. And we're going to pray. And after our offering, we're going to uh, look at our ballot today and approve our ballot so we can uh, have our elections today as well. My entire life as a Christian, as somebody who's followed God all of those years that I have followed him, he has shown up every single and every single time, he has given me more than I could ever possibly give him. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you. And thank you, Lord, for the stories in your word. But Lord, we thank you that you are such a faithful and giving and compassionate God. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings in our life. We thank you, Lord, that we have this faith to believe in you, to follow you. And so, Lord, we give you over our life, we give you over our time and our talents and our abilities. And in return, Lord, you help grow that faith. Lord, this morning, maybe there's some families here that uh, maybe have realized that, you know what, we're just kind of going along the motions or we're doing our thing and we haven't put God first in our family. Husbands and wives aren't praying together. Parents aren't praying with their kids. They're not getting around a, a table or spending time with one another. We've allowed our schedules to take over a place where you deserve that time. So Lord, help us to put you first in our family. 
And Lord, thank you for this principle of how you always outgive us. You've always shown up. That's my testimony is you've always shown up. And the more that Carol and I are, are led to give you, the more you've given back and you've blessed it. I can't even imagine what you've been able to do with what we have given you. And, and so, Lord, I just pray for our church. I pray, Lord, for the finances in our, in our church. I know that we were making some sacrifices and we're cutting back here and there. And Lord, thank you for helping us make wise decisions. But, Lord, we also ask for your blessing to be upon everyone in this church. So that, Lord, we can give back to the storehouse. We can give back to you. For, Lord, it is yours from the beginning anyway. And we're just merely giving back to you what you have given us. And somehow, in some way, I can't explain it with my human brain, when I give you back a portion of what you've given me, you give more. You are so good, God. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless this offering today. Lord, that you would bless not just this gift and allow us to make wise decisions with this tithe and offering money, but Lord, that uh, you would bless the giver today. Show them, Lord, just how serious you take this. It's the one area where you say, test me and see what I can do. Lord, may we put you first in our faith and our families and even in our finances, Lord. You are worthy of all of it. We thank you, Jesus, for being here with us today and for this opportunity. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.